And we're in Acts chapter 6 this morning, and uh, the title of it is Unity is Important. Uh, I, I would say something, uh, I gave that title, but I would, reading it now, I realize I should say, you, unity is vital. Without unity, you die. If your body fights itself, you die. If the body of Christ fights itself, it will die, at least locally. The Bible, the second most important thing in the Bible, besides the truth of who God is, is unity in his body. I am, I am a firm believer in that. Anything that causes disunity is sin. Now, you let that sink in. Anything that causes disunity is sin. And one of the problems we have as men and women, boys and girls, is we see things either or. I had a wise man told me one time, there's always a third gear. This is gear one, gear two. Amen, Hunter. There's about, what, 20, 25? <laughs> I don't know how many gears on a truck. Bunch of gears. There's always a third gear. There's always something else. And you and I sometimes are not smart enough to figure it out. We might need to get somebody else to help us understand it. But unity is important. And in this chapter, we see a real problem going on. We see disunity happening in the chapter. And so, uh, I, I wanted to read this to you this morning. Um, and and here's, here's how it goes. Now in those days when people were really beginning to grow and more people were coming to know Christ, a complaint arose over which coffee brand should be served before worship time. One group strongly believed in saving money by serving the cheaper, robusta Folgers brand. The other group felt strongly that the Starbucks Arabica bean would bring in more visitors. A sorely disputed division was created. And this division caused members on both sides to quit serving coffee altogether and eventually to leave the church. You say, well, that's humorous, but that's not really true. Oh, you think not? I hold in my hands a list of 25 to, according to the author, his favorite disputes that ever arose in a church. And on this list is this one. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. That's where I got it. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. And then the author put a little quote and said, perhaps they started a new church, the Right Blend Fellowship. <laughs> we argue over silly, silly things. Now I want to read the actual word of God, so I'm going to have you stand. I didn't, you should have got a hint that I didn't ask you to stand up that I was going to do that. Listen to this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and, Nicol and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the awesomeness of your word. And we ask in Jesus' name right now that you would uh, bless your word into our hearing and our understanding. Lord, I pray that you would anoint uh, me to proclaim your word with truth, with boldness. That, Lord, the meditation of my heart, the words of my lips would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I, I just, I know that, um, Father, uh, so many times we miss see and misunderstand what you're telling us. So we ask for clarity. We ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us today. We bind our enemy, Satan, and every demon of hell that would come against us. And in Jesus' name, we declare the victory of Christ over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. You just make a bigger target. Um, I, I want to ask a serious question. Now, I've kind of had a little fun with you. But I want to ask a serious question. What is the problem in this passage? Somebody just blurted it out. Yeah, the widows, right? No, that's not the problem. The problem is in verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should quit preaching the word of God to serve tables. The problem was the word of God wasn't going out. That's the real problem. The problem is not whether people are getting served food or not. The problem is it's hindering the advancement of the gospel. I won't ask for it, but I would have amen right there. Where the Holy Spirit is moving, there will always be a buffalo trying to get on the track and keep the train from going. You got to get rid of the buffalo. And so here's the statement I want you to take home with you today. Being a part of the solution eliminates the problem. I first said that you can be a part of the solution, a part of the problem, a part of the solution. Which is true, it's a good thing to say. But I want to make that a little bit more positive. If you're part of the solution, you're solving the problem. Right? Y'all all look at me like, what's going on this morning? Okay. Here's... here's Just something very broad. We always use this passage for deacons. I don't think that's the wrong thing to do. This seems to be the germination, the birth of of a group of men we call the deacons. It's fine whether these are officially deacons or not as the way we understand it today. Probably not in in many ways, but probably so in some others. But, But here's something you need to understand. Two of these guys didn't stay deacons. Two of them became evangelists. One of them you know about, well, you know about both of them. Philip, he's the guy that led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. Uh, he, has, he, had, he, he went on preaching a, across uh, that area. And he had four daughters that all became prophetesses. Baptists, let that get a hold of you. All right? The Bible restricts two offices in the church to men, but it, it restricts none of the Holy Spirit's gifts to men. All the gifts of the Spirit are available to men and women. Two offices, we, as the way we understand it, are restricted to men only. Just saying, all right? And, and that's just how we do things. But we get all, you know, hyper about that. But anyway, Philip's daughters became, became prophetesses. In other words, they proclaimed the Word of God to people. Uh, y'all know you're supposed to do that. We tell women to be quiet, and then we tell them they ought to preach the gospel, and they get confused, right? That's crazy. Of course, you're supposed to speak up, preach the gospel. 
But here, here's the other guy was Stephen. He was the first martyr of the church. They're in this list. These are those guys. But here's what I want you to see beyond all that. That's a lot of detail and minutia. But here's what I really want you to see. The church had a problem and they solved it together. Amen? Now, here's an, another thinking question for you. Where in the Bible did Jesus say, now you're going to have a church and I want you to have pastors, obviously, but I also want you to have a group of men called deacons. In case you haven't read the whole Bible, you won't find that. He never commanded this. So which point, preacher? My point is, when a church has a problem, you don't have to be afraid to be creative to get it solved. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew to Peter, you're the rock on this rock, I'll build my church. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. What you open on earth will be opened in heaven. What you close on earth will be closed in heaven. He gave authority to the church to get the job done. And basically said, I've trained you, I've taught you. When you get out there and you run into a problem, solve it. But what happens in a lot of places is instead of solving it, we fight over it. Right? Now, I'm grateful for, for Calvary. And, and, and I had to, I, I'm so used to being in, being in churches. And that's where they're like, we don't have a lot of fights here. We, we generally solve problems here pretty well. And, and, and I'm very grateful. We have very calm business meetings, the whole nine yards. Um, we we kind of do that right. But, but, my, but, but here's the deal is that sometimes, you know, the meeting after the meeting, we call it the parking lot business meeting happens. Or the telephone business meeting or whatever. Maybe it's the email business meeting. Can you believe they're doing this? And here's what I think. Well, who cares what you think? Who cares what I think? We ought to care what God thinks. Because I'm just one member. I know I'm the pastor. I'm leading and all that. But, but at the end of the day, we all have to seek God. What does God want? And that's, and, and you know, I, I'm supposed to help us all find that. I, I get that. So... I want us to tear this passage apart, um, not, not in super detail, but enough to get what happens. But then I want you to see the, the results of it. The, the first thing that happened was there was a need in the people. There was a need of the people. There's probably around 20,000 people at this point. We don't know. We don't have an accurate number, but we know at least 5,000 people have been saved up to this point. But they're only counting the men. There's women and children also there. So when you think of men and families, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20,000. That's a wide range of numbers. I know that. But think about that. When you've got 120 disciples starting it, and now you've got 5,000 people in just a, couple, a year, less than a year, a year or two. Not very long, and suddenly you've got a deal. Now, in that day, you also understand a woman, uh, the way that mostly she was able to be sustained in life was through marriage. She married a guy. He did, he did all the outside work to bring in the income and the food. Um, there were women that worked in the Bible. We find that, but, and work, did a lot of things. Proverbs 31 talks about that. Uh, we, we see the first convert in Europe was a woman uh, and, 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 and a very godly woman. And so, but, but mainly that was, so a man, their husband would die and they had no means of income, they're now a part of this church, and there's no church back home to go to because there are no churches back home yet. And so you got a bunch of people, and now you got a lot of widows that need to be taken care of. And in Jewish life, they were supposed to take care of their widows. And, uh, and, and over in Timothy, Paul finally defines like, okay, this is what a, a real widow is, and this is 
Because obviously this was an ongoing need. In, in our world today and in, in where we live, we have a welfare system. And, and of course, that's kind of broken too. But there was a lot of people and then there was a complaint arose. Now, who did it arise from? It arose from the Hellenists. And the, you say, what is a Hellenist? Uh, um, uh, a Hellenist is a Greek, okay? That's just the technical word for it. And, and if you were a Jew born in Greece, they didn't think you were a real Jew if you were a Jew born in Israel. I'm a Hebrew Hebrew. I'm not a Greek Hebrew. What we call that today is identity politics. I'm oppressed because I'm purple. I just made up a color nobody is. I'm oppressed because I'm from... My ancestors came from Ireland. I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a minor. I'm an old person. I'm a middle-aged white guy. Whatever it is. And we just identify ourselves this way. How about we just all be people? That might work. (laughs) And let's help people. But there you see identity politics and and a division being created like, yeah, but those aren't real Jews. We're the real Jews. And now, now we're saved. This really was for us, not for them. And they were being treated as second-class citizens. It is a real problem. This isn't just people complaining, even though they were whining. Uh, and, you know, the 11th commandment is thou shalt not whine. But, um, but, but they, they, they were. They're having, they're having all this difficulty. And it was real. And it was a real prejudice there. It was a real discrimination. It was a real whatever word fits. And so the deacons, the, the pastors, the apostles said, y'all going to fix this. We don't have time to fix this. You're going to fix it, and this is how you're going to fix it. Gave them an outline to do it. That's in, that's in verse 3 right there, where he says, uh, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men, and here's the qualifications, men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, and we will appoint them this duty. Now, these are common sense qualifications. All right. First of all, they've got to be respected. If a guy who has been prejudiced against someone is elected to serve them, the person being served might go, I don't know. What's your motive? What are you really doing? There might have been a question about that. So they had to have a good reputation with everybody. No, that guy's even-handed. He's fair to everybody. So, so that has to happen. Secondly, he, he says there, not only that, they've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Well, why? Because they've got to know what God's telling them to do. I mean, two of them were so full of the Holy Spirit, God said, okay, good job, you're willing to wait tables. Now I've got another job for you to do, Philip. I need you to get out in the wilderness, and you're going to meet a guy in a chariot and leads the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord who goes back into Africa, starts a Christian church known as the Coptic Church, which has kind of gone bad in recent days, but is the oldest Christian church outside of Jerusalem. Do you follow what I just said? One of these deacons led the guy of the Lord that started the second oldest group of Christians that we know of in Africa. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I thought he was just supposed to wait tables. Well, he was, but he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told him to go out there, and he did. And he kind of liked it, so he kept doing it. <laughs> he kept preaching the gospel, man. He was preaching all over the place. And also, and have wisdom. Why does he need wisdom? You ever stop, tried to stop two ladies from arguing? <laughs> I'll just leave that alone. I bet I'll just get in trouble. Anything I say after that is going to get in trouble. 
So he gave some qualifications to these problem solvers. You need men that are listening to God and they got some wisdom. They can, they can figure it out. They're not all caught up in the emotion of it. They see the problem and they're going to fix the problem. Now remember, the problem's not the problem. The problem's a symptom, is a cause of the real problem. Right? The real problem is, this is hindering our ability to get out there and do the gospel. We need some help over here in a very practical way so we can do what God's called us to do. Do you understand we're all on the same team? I, I guess it has happened, but I've never known a quarterback to throw a pass to himself. You know, we, 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 we need a team to get stuff done. And not everybody, you know, on the team does the same thing. We all have a role to play. And so these men were, were doing that. And here's the list of people. And I'm not going to reread the names. Half of them, I don't think I even pronounce them right. But he says, we shouldn't have to quit preaching to serve tables. That's a problem. So pick out from among yourselves seven men. He names what they should look like. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the difference is, okay, y'all do that and we'll do this. And what we don't find in Scripture is the apostles come behind them going, hey, uh, no, I don't think you ought to serve a table like that. What you really need to do is fold a napkin this way and set, right? They didn't micromanage is what I'm saying. They gave them a job to do, told them what to do, and left them alone to do it. That's, I sh- that, that would be in a leadership seminar. I'll, I'll leave that alone. But, but from amongst themselves, they picked seven men. Now, seven men, I know it's not 20,000 people they got to serve, but it's a good chunk. I don't know how seven men handled this. I really don't. Especially when since you're going to lose two of them anyway. That seems almost impossible, doesn't it? But do you know something interesting? Every name listed is a Greek name. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Oh, I knew it, but I forgot. Because as a preacher, they told me never to admit anything that I didn't know. Um, I'm just kidding. They didn't tell me that. These were all Greek men. Well, that makes sense. There's some wisdom for you. Because they understood the need of the people they're serving. Now, you don't have to be Greek to do that in this case. But that's how they did it. Right? If I had to be everything that somebody was who needed my help, that would be impossible. Then nobody would ever get helped. So I don't have to be a woman to understand a woman's problem. I don't have to be a drunk to understand a drunk's problem. Right? Or, or had been or have been. I just need to have the compassion of Christ, the wisdom of God, the full, filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? So you're not limited in what you can do. But in wisdom, the first ones are Greek. Now, what do you think those Greek guys did? They probably got some Hebrew guys to come help them. And eventually, we all got it back together. But the, the Greek people went, hey, that's great by us. The Hebrews went, fine, y'all can deal with your own there first. Maybe, I don't know what they said. But it got taken care of. It pleased the gathering. They choose these seven men and they prayed and laid their hands on them. I'm just struck by something here. And that is this. What was the job given to these men to do? Yeah, wait on tables. What, take care of the widows. To serve. Now, that just seems like in our world today, I don't know what you think of the person who comes to your table and takes your order. I don't know what you think of the guy that, that, that collects the, the, 
the buggies out, out in, in, in the, that's the South Carolina word for shopping cart, buggy. Um, the shopping carts in the parking lot of a store. I don't know what you think about the guy with the bucket that cleans the bathroom in a public place. But a lot of people think of those as menial jobs. They laid their hands on them. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. They needed to have the wisdom of God. There is no small job. Don't ever say in the church, well, I only just, or I'm just a. No. You are called by God to do a specific thing that blesses the whole body. And it takes the whole team. And we're all together in that. But when we get all this straight, we find something very interesting at the end in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. Now, pause again and think about that. What caused the word of God to increase? Seven guys are waiting on tables. Everything correlates to the gospel. Do you get this in the story? I really want you to get this. We're not unified because we live in Stanton. We're not unified because we are members of Calvary. We're unified in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the priority of why we all stay together. That's it. And when we fail to do that, we are not where we ought to be. Are you getting that? These apostles are not looking like, oh, we got this problem. They're saying, we're trying to study the Old Testament and figure out what this means with what Christ taught. And we got to stop to go wait on tables. The problem is not the waiting on tables. The problem is it hindered the proclamation of the gospel. And they said, hey, why don't we let somebody else do that so we can do this? Good idea. Let's talk to the people about it. Hey, guys, here's our problem. What we're finding is we don't have time to do what we're supposed to do because this needs to be done. Why don't you all pick seven men, look like this, and take care of it? They said, good. And as a result, the word of God continued to increase. So it increased in its its influence in the community. It increased in its... And as a church, we've got to always be examining... Whether what we're doing is helping the proclamation of the gospel or hindering it. If you're in leadership or you've been with me in any kind of meeting, you'll hear me say the most important question you've got to ask is why. Why are we doing this? And when we find that we're not doing it for the proclamation of the gospel, and let me, let me define that. The proclamation of the gospel, by my definition and how I'm using it this morning, is this. That those who are lost understand that apart from Christ, there is no hope of a relationship with God. That the only way you can have a relationship with God, the creator God, who spoke all the world in existence, the God of this Bible, the God of the Old Testament, who spoke the word of God into, or spoke the world into existence, the universe into existence, entered life as a baby in Bethlehem, put on flesh, and dwelt among us, And we beheld the glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He lived a perfect life, died a death for us on a cross, was buried, rose again, and is fixing to come back. And we know all that from the scripture, which we believe is the very word of God. 
and tells us the, what God wants us to know. Now that is, that's the gospel message that the only way is to receive the, the death of Christ as your death so that you can have a relationship with the Father God because that Father God said, the soul that sins, it shall die, and Christ died in your place. Beyond that, for those of us who have accepted that, we continue to need to know the gospel because the gospel begins to infiltrate and affect every area of my life. So where I work and what I eat and who I, uh, you know, who I do life with and everything about my life is, is governed by the gospel. I, I, when, I, when I'm counseling young people about getting married and I ask them why they want to get married. And they always give me, you know, weird answers. Because they're young and dumb and full of ice cream. And, and, uh, and it's, you know, oh, because she loved, I, I love him so much. Or, you know, we got so much in common, all that stuff. That's, that's fine. I'm glad you, I'm glad of all that. But the only reason is that we can serve God better together than we can by ourselves. Because it all revolves around the gospel. Where, why do you work where you work? Well, it's just a job I got. Well, let, let's say you're trapped in your job. Let's say, yeah, that's the only reason you got that job. Can you redeem it for the gospel? Can you begin to use that platform to preach? I don't know that saying you got to run and quit your job or, for goodness sake, you know, don't leave your mate or whatever. But, but can you redeem the situation you're in in order to proclaim the gospel? If you're in a bad, a tough time, and a tough situation, can you use it to show the glory of God, the sustaining grace of God? And when everybody around you goes, how are you handling that? Say, well, it's the grace of God. Because I have a relationship with the Father God who loves me more than, more than anything. He wants my best. He's got the power to give me my best. He loves me to desire my best, so I don't lack anything. He's going to give me what's the best for me. So I can function in this bad situation knowing that God is working a greater weight of glory in me. When I say the gospel, I include all that too, for those of us who already know it. It's not enough to say, yeah, when I was eight, I came down the aisle and I told everybody I wanted Jesus as my Savior. And they baptized me and I know I'm going to heaven. I filled out a card. You know, a lot of people join church, we get them fill out a card, say have a seat, and they mistake that for the Great Commission. <laughs> That's all they ever do, just sit down. That's not what this is about. This is about having a dynamic living relationship with the creator God so that I'm following his will and living his life. And the disciples said, we're being hindered in getting this message of life and salvation out to people. Heaven is just a bonus. The point of Christianity is I have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the filling of the Holy Spirit to make that a reality. And the word of God, its influence increased. They were able to proclaim the message. And as a result, guess what happens when you tell people about Jesus? And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. <laughs> it's real funny. We, we try to figure out how, you know, some churches, how can we get more people in here? I don't know, tell more people about Jesus? Let's try that, see how that works. If you do that, people get saved. you got to bring them in. It's, it's like a baby being born. We didn't, my wife didn't show up at the hospital, give birth to three children. And we go, wow, that was great. Well, we're going home. Let us know how it goes and leave them. We had to take them home with us. We had to feed them, change their diapers, teach them right from wrong, put them in school, spend a ton of money on them. 
Tell them they were doing great when they stunk at stuff. <laughs> My kids didn't stink at anything. They were perfect. No, I'm kidding. No, we had to encourage them, help them. I'm just kidding around, guys. We had to encourage them and help them and help them to become men and women of God. That was our responsibility. Guess what? It's the responsibility of a church when a baby is born into the kingdom of God. You got to take them home with you. And when you do, they cry, they eat, they poop. Then they cry some more because now they're hungry and their diaper's dirty. So you feed them so they'll poop more, so they'll cry more. It's just crazy. And so when churches have new people come in and they got all these immature babies running around eating and pooping and taking a lot of resources and then going, no, I'm tired, i got to take a nap. And we're going, what? you gonna? No, we are supposed to help train them up, right? That's part of the gospel. So don't despise that. Rejoice in that. Man, I, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in some very jokey ways. I hope you don't you know, take it as quite as seriously as you might could have taken all of that, except that we are responsible. But I, I was doing a revival service one time uh, for um, my wife and her brother who's here today, David's uh, stepbrother who's a pastor. When Jan and I were first married, and I'm doing a, a revival service for his church in, in Virginia and he was changing a baby's diaper, his, his youngest child, I guess. Um, and, and it stunk. And I'm newly married. I don't have children yet. And it was nasty. One of those. You know, I mean, it was bad. And I said, how can you stand to do that? And then he told me about the intestinal problems that child had. And he said, I just thank God it's working. And I get the opportunity to change his diaper. Well, that changed my stupid perspective, didn't it? Like, oh, man, when you see a bunch of people running around making a mess, but they just got saved, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We'll clean that mess up every day of the week because somebody's been born into the kingdom and we get a chance to help raise them up. We've got to get that perspective, y'all. We're not here for us. We're here for those who need us. Uh, I think, well, I, I won't quote the, who it was, but a very wise person wrote, the church is the only organization that exists for those who are not a part of it. Let that sink in. So the converts kept increasing in number, and then the preachers are getting saved. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this isn't the Sadducees and Pharisees on the council. These are the guys that... You know, the, the guys that serve in the temple and all that, probably. Because there's a bit, whole class of priests and there was a lot of jobs that need to be done. And so these may not be the top-ranking priests, even though I think some of them got saved too. But the point is this. People that were priests of, a, of Judaism, of a, of a religion that God gave, but he didn't mean for it to end there. He meant for them to understand the Messiah and take that Judaism and convert it into what becomes Christianity. They, most of them failed at that, but, but many of the guys who are caught in a wrong religion are coming to faith in Christ. When you can proclaim the gospel, there are many people who are trapped in a false way of thinking, whether it's a world philosophy, uh, as we've had this weekend and last weekend. We've had two weekends in Stanton where people believe a bunch of lies of the devil, and they're trapped in that. And if you're mad at those people, you've seen it wrong. They are, they are being held captive by our enemy. And they need to be rescued. And the proclamation of the gospel is the only thing that's going to help them. 
Not condemning them, telling them how much God loves them and what God has done to wash away their sins. See, us religious people, we like to complain about people who don't sin like we do. Because, you know, our sins somehow aren't as bad as their sins. I had a cousin, and uh, he got saved late in life, and uh, he went to another denominational church, and he left that church after he got saved and joined a different one. And he would talk about his brothers and sisters and said, they're members of the exempt religion. (laughs) They think it's okay to do what they do because they're exempt from having to do what God said they ought to do. He was funny. And I just, from him, I learned, yeah, that's pretty true. We think, well, I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. No, we are called to follow Christ. And these priests are following a religious system, and they see the reality of who Jesus is. And they leave their livelihood and a whole religious system for the truth. And that's what we have to proclaim. And we've got to do the same thing. It doesn't matter what I think I ought to do. It matters what God expects of me to do. So, what can you do with all this? I I think, and I wanted you to catch, there's no split in this church. There's no longer division in the church. There's no destruction of this church. They said, we got a problem. Okay, we hear you. It's a problem. Let's fix it. Now let's move on. And that's what they did. And as a result, more people got saved and, and, and a lot of good things happened. When I demand my own way, my own right... I'm causing division. No matter what that perceived way and right is. And that's true of me as a pastor. I need to be demanding what God wants us to do. Not what Stuart wants us to do. And that's, listen, that's a trap for me as well. I'm, like I tell you, I preach at me and let y'all listen in. I'm not, I'm not fussing at you. I don't know anybody, I can't point anybody in here. And say, oh, well, I know you did so. No, talking to me. I just want you to to hear that. So what can you do? Well, first of all, write down how you're part of the solution. Literally. Write it on your bulletin. Write it on your notebook. Write it in your Bible. How am I a part of the solution? How am I a part of making sure the gospel gets out there? You say, I can't preach. I can't witness. Okay, I'm exempt from having to do that. No. Can you make a gift that we can give to a visitor? Bread, cookies, cake. Maybe you've got a craft you can make. Like this is from, you know. Can you prepare packages to take to visitors? Can you stuff a Christmas box? Can you come to Fallapalooza and hand people candy? Or just be in the crowd and talk to somebody? It's all part of being the team, on the team, right? How are you part of the solution? If you can't write anything down then you need to figure out how to be part of the solution. A member of our church told us about their single son in the church he goes to in another city, and he had to do nursery duty. He said, you're doing nursery duty, young single man. He said, yeah, everybody in our church is required to take a turn in the nursery. It's a part of membership. I'm about to say something, so I had to take a drink of water. (laughs) It sounded funny. Do you know what it says when you say, we're going to have this event, but we don't provide help and care for kids? It says, we don't want anybody in that age group, young families, to come. That's what it says. 
You don't care about us. Now, you can apply that to any group, but that is one. Can you help in the nursery? No, I don't. Now, we got qualifications. You got standards. You got to meet those standards. And we understand that. We don't put our kids at risk. But, and I'm just using that as an example. Can you be part of the solution? Problem is, we want to pick and choose how we're part of the solution. We have people come in here and clean the church every week. They faithfully come in and do that. We actually pay people to do that. And, that, and that's a good thing, and I'm, I'm all for that. But if I'm not willing, if they were sick, to say, I'll do that for you and do it, then that'd be a problem. And if you're not thinking, but you shouldn't have to do that because you need to be in the prayer and word, so I'll come do it, you're part of the problem. You get it? Do you see, I need to be willing to do it, and I would do it. I don't mind. One time a lady came to me in another church and said, well, I can't tell this whole story, but I'll tell, I'll tell enough of it, you'll get it. And said, have you seen and named her husband? And I said, no. And she said, I got to go get him. I said, why? She said, the toilet is clogged up in the ladies' bathroom. Well, it was a single-seater ladies' bathroom. So I opened the door, went in there, saw what she said, found a plunger, and I fixed it. She came back, and I said, I fixed it. She said, I didn't mean for you to do that. So well, it needed to be done. There was a plunger in there, so I fixed it. It's fine. Now, I'm not bragging on me. It took two seconds. It wasn't that hard to do. But how many of us would go, yeah, you're right. Let me go find the janitor. Just unclog the stupid toilet, man. Let's go on. <laughs> right? If you see something needs to be done, do it. Period. Figure out how you can be part of the solution. Number three... Determine in your heart to commit to the unity of the church and the gospel being proclaimed. That's the real point here. I, I, listen, I'm 59. I've been, been saved for 52 years. I've been in ministry full-time pay for 40 years. And it really struck me first time. This isn't just about deacons. This is about the proclamation of the gospel. I don't know how I missed it all that time, but I did. And I go, oh my goodness. This isn't about deacons and this is about the church in unity solving the problem and then moving forward. Going, okay, we've got that taken care of. Let's keep going. And that's a good thing. 